Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents The Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. Tonight we are going to talk about mentorship, what it is, Is it biblical? And why you might consider becoming a mentor or finding a mentor. With me is one of my friends. I first met her when she became one of the participants in one of my Institutes of Biblical Law Study. Her name is Beth Bingaman. Hello, Beth. Tell us about yourself. Okay. So I'm Beth Bingaman, and I am married for 37, almost 38 years. I have two grown children and four grandchildren, ranging in age from one to ten, who I have the privilege of living with. We live intergenerationally, so we have a constant influence in our grandchildren's and our children's lives. I came to the Lord late in life. I was about 40 when I came to Christ, and undramatic, long, drawn-out kind of way, but uh, the change was profound, and with two years, by God's grace, within that time, he brought my husband as well, and we have really had the advantage of many Christians who have just taught us and led us and spoken truth into our lives for it's probably over 20 years now, so we are uh, we're just grateful to be part of the kingdom of God. I'm a little envious, I might say, because it would be nice to live closer to my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And I actually grew up with my grandparents living in the same house and have fond memories of my grandmother bailing me out of meals I didn't want to eat. And looking (laughs) back, I drove my mother crazy because I was a very picky eater. And sometimes we'd have a showdown, and I'm pretty sure my mother would get on the phone and call my grandmother and say, come up and just end this for me because um, <laughs> she is one stubborn little girl. And so my grandparents, I have fond memories of having grown up with my grandparents. Well, that's very um, I don't encouraging know was, to me that they're fond memories. That's good. I don't know how fond it was for them. You see, because <laughs> as a kid, I didn't say, mom, do you really like this? Or grandparents, do you really like this? Right. But for me, my grandfather, you could always get a checker game with my grandfather, and my grandparents used to eat early, and so one of us would always sort of walk up the steps, and then they would hear us, and they'd go, oh, come on in and join us. So right. we had this rule among us kids that only one of us could do this, so whoever got there first was the one who got invited. A race. <laughs> yes. So... I happen to know that as an older woman, you, like me, have gray hair, and there is a lot of assumptions that people are very, very smart, well, at least in some circles, if they're older. So I know that you are an active mentor to younger women. How did you get started in that capacity, and did you initially feel qualified? Well, I got started... Strictly by by the hand of God, I believe, I was teaching a large women's Bible study at the time, that parachurch, that did not permit me to teach uh, in my home church to adult 
to adults. And so I was constantly being asked and always having to say, I still can't do that. I still can't do that. And the pastor came to me one day and said, this woman just walked in off the street. She, God had obviously already prepared her heart. Would you be willing to just meet with her one-on-one? And that is, was really the beginning because we got into that. It was just going to be, you know, a simple few weeks, make sure she understands the gospel, get her through this book. But when we got into the nitty gritty of her life, she needed way more than just the simple, you know, you need Jesus in your heart. She needed to really turn some things around in her life. And I, I like to say that I held her arms up in the battle. I couldn't do any of that for her, but I could hold her arms up as she went through those things with her husband and family who were being introduced to this whole new way of life for them that she was trying to then, of course, influence her family to come into. So that was the very first time. And the second time, the pastor in my church sent a woman to me to ask me, uh, would I be willing to mentor her? A far more serious situation. They had been in the church for a long time, abusive home situation. And so that, too, took some real education for me. I had to go and learn that wasn't my experience, and I'm thankful for that but I did have to go and learn a lot about abusive marriages just in order to hold her arms up through the battle. And that lasted for years. So based on those two examples you gave, would you say being a mentor was being more like a teacher, a friend, a parent? How would you classify your relationship with both these women? I think in the first one, I was definitely a teacher. She was very hungry for whatever she could learn. She asked things like, what is righteousness? And am I allowed to listen to Bon Jovi? And I mean, very basic questions. And she had been told I would answer them for her. (laughs) So she brought them and brought them and brought them. So in that respect, I, that one, I was very definitely a teacher, but it turned into a friendship over the years. She's someone I still see every once in a while just to catch up and see how she's doing and how her kids are. The other one was probably some combination of everything. Friendship, because she was in a terrible situation, and teaching because she was in a terrible situation. She needed a lot of guidance and had suffered as a child. So she needed that. Now, were you ever scared? Because I know when I first started mentoring, there was this sense of this person thinks I know all the answers, which of course I don't. Right. Did you feel that you had to establish that right off the bat, that a mentor isn't somebody who then takes the reins of your life and starts telling you how to do everything, that a mentor is kind of like, not so much a mirror, but somebody who can help you see maybe what you're not seeing. That's all definitely true for me. In fact, in a first meeting. I've I've done many more since then. And now I'm very upfront about that. 
and we'll ask in the very beginning, what are you hoping to get from our meetings? What is it that you're looking for? When it's this kind of formal thing, that you know, relationship, what is it that you want to get from this? What are you expecting from me? And I'll tell them what I'm expecting from them. And I make it seem a little more formal, though certainly our meetings are not formal, but because I want to get that out there, I, I cannot be your Holy Spirit. I can direct you according to the scripture, and that is, by the way, where I will go for our direction, because I think people need to know that up front as well. So I do try to hedge that a little bit by just having that first, here's what we need to do, what you need to know, what I need to know. Do you still want to move forward? Now, in today's world, there are life coaches, people that other people pay to sort of be their cheerleaders. And I've never looked at mentoring as being a cheerleading type activity. You want to comment on that? I sure do. <laughs> right. I completely agree. Every once in a while, I think maybe I should charge for it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do think that they are cheerleaders. And because they get paid, they fear losing the money. So maybe they won't say the same hard things that you might feel like you need to say or scripturally you need to say. And so I am not willing to be the cheerleader under every circumstance. One of the things that it just seems that what the Lord, who the Lord has brought to me have often had very serious marriage problems. And sometimes they've been very hurt in their marriages, these women, but God blesses obedience. And so they come thinking they should be blessed for their suffering. So you have to kind of redirect that thinking. That can be a very hard truth for a woman who's living in a difficult situation to hear, well, was this sin when you responded? And so you have to speak that truth, that they don't feel like you're cheerleading them when you speak that kind of truth. And even if somebody thinks they want a cheerleader, um, I suppose I, you could go to the local bar, drink enough, you know, have enough drinks, and you could have the person next to you tell you everything that you've done is correct. Right. That really... Mentoring doesn't work if the person being mentored doesn't have a recognized need. Yes. By that I mean, you may, I mean, every, to the whole world, it might be obvious that this person has this issue and needs to learn this thing. But a, a good analogy would be if the lifeguard jumps in and pulls somebody out of the pool who doesn't perceive he's drowning. The lifeguard is not going to get a big thank you. The lifeguard is going to be told, what did you do that for? Even if the lifeguard acted totally appropriately. So in a lot of ways, mentoring to be effective has to be to some degree initiated by the person who's saying, I'd like to tap into your wisdom and your experience and your knowledge of scripture. Yes. And their need may be, I want to grow spiritually. I don't know the scripture. They may need that kind of just a hand along to guide them through the scripture. But then I've had as complicated as these difficult marriages. Really a range of what those needs, quote unquote, look like. You know, they don't have to be in dire straits to go to a mentor. As a matter of fact, 
it might be the smart idea not to wait till you're in dire straits to get some real help. Amen. I often think that many, many problems could be taken care of if people would approach things way earlier than they do. If they would be willing to use the Matthew 18 model of going to someone that they have a problem with, that it would get nipped in the bud a lot earlier than we allow them until they grow to such a degree that you need every step. For me, when I began to mentor people, it was important for me to really identify what my role should be and what it shouldn't be. It doesn't matter what the person wants to pull out of you because the person may want something that either you're not prepared to give because it's not right or you're not even qualified to give. But a lot of people, they look at qualifications and they'll say, well, I haven't gone through training to be a counselor. Or people could say the same thing about being a parent or a home educator. Right. We too often think that we have to go through some sort of institutional training to be qualified. My experience tells me what will make you qualified is if you are wise. And the degree of your wisdom will have everything to do with your own personal submission to God and his word. I would just amen that. I mean, the scripture is clear. Older women teach the younger women. I think that indicates a certain amount of life experience. James says, ask for wisdom and you will be given wisdom. And if we are willing to do what the scriptures tell us to do and approach young women and be available to the younger women and be willing. I think that willingness is so key. I have so many women I've talked to over the years who the excuses are, they're mundane. They're, I don't have time. I've never done this. I don't have enough Bible knowledge. Those things are not reasons to disobey God, to say, I'm not going to teach a younger woman or train a younger woman. And I think that that life experience, we don't give that enough credit and we don't give God enough credit for being able to give us what we need when we go in there to serve him in this way. Because I think that's the other thing we have to remember is this is a way that we serve not just the woman sitting in front of us, but we serve God and we grow his kingdom because it is a generational, it's a long-term generational view. I need to help this mom so this next generation gets raised well biblically in the fear and admonition of the Lord so they can do that for their children in the next and the next and the next. If we go in with a short view, it's all about me and the woman sitting across the table from me. And sometimes there are really ugly situations. Mm-hmm. And the mentor has to be on guard, not to internalize and say, this is so awful. Gee, if I was in this situation, I would hate it too. And then try to go in and fix the situation because all situations, even if the woman is truly been victimized by an abusing parent or an abusing spouse or an abusing employer, whatever the circumstance is, If you don't start with foundationally helping the person who needs help to understand her position in the kingdom of God, the fact that she is a creature and she was created and she needs to examine herself in terms of how she measures up with 
what God says is right and what God says is wrong. Once you have that foundation, then you can evaluate things that have happened to her, things that she's done or whatever, and then clear the table so that she can work to what's the correct course of action. I think that's actually a huge element. I was frustrated early on because I am, I just wouldn't tolerate this. You know, I would just be like this and I would move on and I would tell him this and I would do that. You know, I, I'm a go-getter. I'm, but many of these women are not. They haven't been taught that. They have been, they have not been well educated in the scripture. They don't understand who they are in Christ. They don't understand much about anything except the pain that they're experiencing. And so where I want them to go fix that right away, they're two or three years from that. And so that sometimes ends up being the time to hold their hands up in the battle while they grow spiritually so they have the strength to then make the changes because I can't make their changes. And I do think that's a really hard thing for some people. They want you to fix it. And there's and a tendency like, that you want to go in and fix it because who doesn't want to say, I went in and I fixed it. When you talk in terms of some sort of painkiller, I want to provide the painkiller, people forget that pain is a useful thing. If I suddenly have headaches where I didn't have headaches before, that pain is a symptom of something which will then cause me to investigate why am I suddenly getting headaches? And it might take a while, but just somebody saying, they used to say take an aspirin, they don't say take an aspirin anymore, they say take Tylenol or take this or that. Deadening right. the pain doesn't get to the root cause. And right. so we're so used to easy fixes, we're used to programs that are either 30 minutes or 60 minutes or the movie, it's an hour and a half and everything resolves. And as you pointed out, sometimes if it took years to get where someone is, it may take years for them to get out. Right, right. And that can be a very difficult path for them. And so where you want to think, shouldn't, that, shouldn't we be done this by now? I think we're in it for the long haul. We're in it to see them through it spiritually. And I don't think that necessarily means that there's a dependency the way a lot of people seek out psychologists or psychiatrists or psychotherapists. In other words, a mentoring relationship should help get someone back if they're not or keep them on that straight and narrow path that the Bible talks about. And it's easy to go off course. People do it all the time. Their GPS isn't working or they don't have a GPS. Well, the Bible is a great, is the quintessential GPS. But sometimes you have to admit, maybe I don't know how to drive as well as I thought I did. Maybe the problem isn't turning right or turning left. I don't understand what I'm supposed to be doing in the first place, that right or left is going to come down the road. I agree. And one of the things that I think happens or that I try to do is I do not believe that every mentoring relationship has to be we're going to meet for an hour every week and we're going to do these books and we're going to study this and we're going to do that. For a time, I think that's good to develop a relationship but then if we can steer them back on course 
and just be available when they need someone, that you're that person they know they can call and trust and know that they will get scriptural advice, not the cheerleader, that this is a place that they can go where they are confident of what they'll hear, what they will hear. And it gives them a security that they don't have to meet every week because they know that you will respond to them when they do need it. Sometimes that's monthly. Sometimes that's every six months, depending on how, how much they've grown. So I think that that availability is also important over time. And I think the availability that you're speaking of, that means the mentor, if you're going to mentor, has to be available. Yeah. And by that I mean, especially for women who have raised their children, some of them don't really need to go into the workplace. I realize some do, but some don't. And right. I've heard all too many women who've raised their children who said, I just don't know what to do with my life. So they go back to the junior college to learn art or to learn whatever. If it's a pastime, that's fine. And people will find lots of different ways to use their time, but they devalue the experience they have. And if they go out and find that job to feel fulfilled, then they're not available in the volunteer capacity that our society and people within the church actually need. If you don't have someone you can call when you're doubting yourself or you're confused or whatever, and you call the person, but the person says, I'm sorry, I'm at work right now, I can't talk to you. So the availability of the mentor is really important. And that doesn't mean you're a slave to, at two o'clock in the morning, somebody calls up and says, I'm feeling blue, I needed somebody to talk right. to. They're parameters. But if you're not available, then not only can't you fulfill a need, but sometimes you don't even have time to see the needs that are in front of you. I, I agree with that 100%. I, you know, as I head more towards my husband's retirement years, you think, okay, was this wise that I didn't go to work? But in other ways, so many opportunities I've had to do these things, to help other people, to be there, to be available for them. And that has just been a true, I mean, it's a blessing for me. I have grown from this as much as I've helped anyone in my understanding, in seeing what's happening out in the world, in all kinds of ways, God has used this to grow my faith and my absolute, I cannot fix you, <laughs> only the Lord can fix this situation. And so I do think that there are lots of people who are available and won't be available. There are many women who have time but it's not a priority for them, which is difficult for me because I'm seeing lots of pain sitting in our churches that even a Sunday morning conversation might help to just make some eye contact and talk to these young moms and see how it's going. Ask them what's going on in their lives and how it's going with the kids and those kinds of things. Not being in a rush to get out the back door as quickly as you can. I think we're losing a lot of opportunity. I, I agree. And I think that instead of coming in to say, hi, I've observed that your life is a mess, or I observed that your children <laughs> are unruly. So now I, as the great wise woman, am going to tell you what to do. 
first of all, that would go over really right. poorly. <laughs> a lead balloon. <laughs> right. What I've done in the past, let's say I see a woman who is struggling with her children. They go to a church and the church encourages families being there, but the children are just unruly. They're making a lot of noise. They brought their toys. They're playing with Legos. And I can see the look of disdain from other people who find this terribly upsetting. Much the same way that I suppose people would find upsetting if you went to the movies and there were people talking and you paid money to go ahead and do it. So yeah, it's an understandable reaction that if you came to worship God and you came to hear a sermon and you have unruly children around you. So one of the first things I would always do is go up to that person, start a conversation, also try to start a conversation with her children. Find some point of commonality and then just let her know. By the way, if you, you know, I'm available during the week. If you ever have any questions, if you'd ever like me to come over and visit or something like that and open the door to, I'm willing to talk to you. And even though we've already made a judgment because you can't help but not make a judgment, you're seeing something and you're going to evaluate it. But instead of letting her feel that, okay, we're going to start this relationship where I can fix you, that what we're going to do is get to know her context. And if once we know her context, maybe a lot of things will make more sense so that we could give real help. Right. I also wonder just in that kind of situation, have we given up the gift of hospitality and just saying, come to my house, have a cup of tea, sit down with me, let me get to know you. As you said, rather than the coming in like, here's what I can do for you, you know, we don't have that ability, but have we given up on the hospitality that would offer us those opportunities? And maybe you invite two or three women so she's comfortable, so they're Mm -hmm. all comfortable, and just shoot the breeze, (laughs) you know, learn who they are and what they're doing and what their struggles are, and then you have something to go to them with. Right. And then you also get a chance to show them that you're not Wonder Woman. And I find that any time I can share a circumstance of my own life, whether it's present or past, and say, oh, I went through the exact same thing, and now the person doesn't feel as though they're just so unique in as much as they have children that act out in public, or that they have a husband who doesn't seem to engage with other people, and so they're always concerned that maybe people think he's aloof or rude or or whatever the circumstance is. Let people know, you know what? We all have the same kinds of situations that go on. And if you were a fly on the wall in my house, you (laughs) might think, wow, I'm so glad I don't live there. And we're not so bad after all. I I think there was a one situation where a woman approached me about mentoring her and I not from my church from another church and I I really do point women back to their own congregations if I can because I think that you have more accidental uh, interactions with them then you know you do run into them on Sunday morning it doesn't have to be as every meeting doesn't have to be a formal setup and so I suggested this woman to her I said you know I know this woman I did Bible study with her for years she said you gotta be kidding me have you seen her she is perfect 
I was like, no, I assure you, she might dress nicely on a Sunday morning, but she is not perfect. She would understand. And it was a, she had a drug issue with her son. And this woman I know had been through that. I didn't tell her that at the time, but I thought, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness, wouldn't they be a wonderful match? And she never would approach that woman based on her appearance on Sunday morning. And I thought, how sad is that? And there's also a little bit of anonymity. In other words, if I don't let the people who I hang out with know that I'm struggling, that somehow or other I can save face and maybe get some help. But I always like to remind people that when the scripture tells us that we're to bear each other's burdens, that means we have to share our burdens and not be embarrassed because we've got difficult situations we're facing. And that's where for the mentor, especially if you know God's word, if you are schooled or are being schooled or are teaching yourself God's word, then nothing's going to surprise you. Sin really shouldn't surprise us. The Bible is full of the, the need for confessing sin and having sin covered by the blood of Jesus. So nothing should really surprise us. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. There are a lot of people who think that they are going to shock you, and they they don't. They don't. <laughs> right. I think I sometimes also, it disappoints them. <laughs> I know. Right. That's Well, though there's also, for many women at least, a comfort in knowing I'm not the only one who suffered with this. That right. they think that it's a unique thing to them. And you're right. Sin is not unique. The other aspect of any good mentoring relationship is, you kind of alluded to this, what are the expectations? If somebody's coming in and the only desired outcome is that you agree with her that she should leave her husband, then that's not an honest relationship. Certainly, it's not an honest relationship in terms of evaluating your circumstance in terms of God's word. So if people have no desire for reconciliation, if they don't think it's possible, and I'm not talking about situations in a marriage that shouldn't continue. I'm not talking about someone who knows that her husband's been unfaithful repeatedly or someone who has been physically abused or, or whatever the circumstance. But I'm talking about usually those little things that mount up, that don't get communicated about, that don't get confronted but if they're basically throwing their hands up and saying, you know, I just, I just got to be out of here. I'm just done with this. Then I'm not sure there's a whole lot I could do because as a mentor, I'm not trying to convince them to do what's right. I'm trying to help them see what is right. Right. I, yes. I would say the same thing. I can think of a specific case where any time I gave her scriptural truth, she told me I was being harsh. And I was like, no, I'm being truthful. Mm-hmm. And she did not, she wanted, she wanted just what you're talking about. She wanted everything to be her husband's fault and she would have permission to leave. And she had no biblical grounds 
for divorce. It was a difficult marriage, I will give you that. There just were, was nothing happening there that were, were biblical grounds for divorce, even in like verbal abuse or anything like that. It was just, they just annoyed the living daylights out of each other. And that became a very difficult time. She just stopped coming. She didn't want to hear it. And that's why I always will set up a situation that I'm talking to somebody and I don't say, okay, so we'll talk again next week on Tuesday. I don't do that. And I rarely will accept, can we talk again next week on Tuesday? I'll say, tentatively can, but you know what? If, If you don't think that you need to, then don't. I would much rather the next time we got together to hear about the progress you're making in terms of restoring the broken bridge. Mm-hmm. I almost always start with a Bible study of some sort so that there is something that we can focus on in the Word of God that is so that it does not drop to a bash the husband, bash the children, bash the neighbor kind of conversation. And what I have found that when I do that, it just redirects us all the time. We still talk about what's happening in the home. We still spend some time just trying to understand what's going on and what what kind of progress has been made or if there's been no progress. But then if we dig into God's word, it just seems to redirect thoughts and the heart and puts it on a higher plane. So I do try to do that. Now, that's for somebody I'm going to meet with regularly. I think there's a lot of mentoring that we do that is not that formal, that are just being available to women when they need somebody to talk to that doesn't require, like you said, 12 years of psychiatric care. You know, it's just there's a difficult time in her life and she needs to call somebody And if they know we're available, they will call. If we've put ourselves out there and done our our own little Sunday morning things or whenever, that we make the effort to let people know we're available, that they will use us. Something you said earlier in terms of hearing a situation that a woman has and saying, wow, I just, I don't think I could live through, I, I don't see how she tolerates it or whatever. We really want to make sure as mentors that we're not projecting our own types of situations. So if one woman has a husband who's a neat freak and I don't have a husband that's a neat freak, I might be able to have a more objective perspective. But if my husband happens to be a neat freak and her husband happens to be a neat freak, we could spend a lot of time basically talking about how wrong these men are. By the same token, if you can laugh about certain things and realize, because a lot of times when I'm talking with somebody, the person will say, you know, when I actually start talking about this, it sounds so stupid. And I'll say that's because... I believe that's true. Yeah. 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 And and I I was famous, and and I don't mind ever sharing with people real life situations, but I said, you know, my poor husband, we would have a disagreement. And I would think he knew exactly what I was upset about. He'd go off to work, and then I would carry on this dialogue in my head. I say this, he says that. I say this, he says that. Well, by the time 
he gets back. We're in act four of my little play, <laughs> right? And now I've like imputed to him all these things that I think he would say or whatever. And quite frankly, he's a bit clueless. I, I think sometimes he might have been unaware of what the real issue was, but he's really unaware of it now because I've escalated it to these dialogues, which really is a monologue in my head. Mm -hmm. And now I'm operating off of something that he didn't even participate in. Yeah, I, I'm laughing because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Can't tell you how many times. And, and then I say something to him and he's like, no, no, what are you talking about? Like, right. Oh, my goodness. It's like having a dream and somebody's mean to you in the dream and then you wake up and you're mad at that person because you were really mean to me. Well, first of all, it was my dream, not his dream, and he can't <laughs> stick the dream in my head. Oh, my goodness. And I find yeah. if you can laugh about things and you can mm -hmm. realize that no one has a perfect ideal marriage. And even if they thought they did, if you observed it for a while, you might find lots of things that you thought weren't so perfect. Yes, exactly. Exactly. One man's uh, joy is not another man's joy. And right. I mean, that's, I often think even with these difficult marriages that I deal with, sometimes there's usually some really wonderful thing that got them together, that, you know, that brought them together, that they do or that the, uh, something that they're both interested in that when you really hone in on those things that brought them together, women can normally go, yes, I am being, you know, I'm overreacting to something or they've done what you're just talking about. They have projected their own upset onto their husband and he's clueless. He doesn't know that that's even going on in her head. And we can intervene in those if they talk, if right. they tell us. Right. Somebody who is not willing to communicate what's really going on isn't going to find a lot of relief in the situation because if they only parcel out a little bit and the part they think that makes them look good to the person they're seeking counsel from, then really they're just looking for an approval of whatever. And, and the truth is, I can no more tell a woman whether or not something is right or wrong because she may not be telling me everything and her perception of what's going on is still just her perception. I had one woman say, well, I'm just telling you the facts. And I said, well, that's lovely, but the facts according to you, those are your facts, right? Would, would your husband agree that those right. are also the facts? <laughs> would he give me the same facts? Right. Oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but oftentimes you hear peppered in speech. Actually, or the reality is, and somehow or other, if it's coming out of our mouth, we're sure that we're absolutely correct, and this is the reality. Well, this might be my reality, but it doesn't make it reality. But isn't that part of the mentor's job to be able to say, is that really the reality? Mm -hmm. You know, how are you looking at this, and how would he look at it? And I often say, if he was sitting right here, what would he tell me about this? Mm-hmm. Because that makes them look at the the other perspective. And it's not always a husband. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. But, and I think this is a good point. I don't think the Bible tells the older women should be mentoring the younger men. That's not how it works. First of all, 
as I like to remind my husband when we were struggling with various aspects of our kids, I have never been a young man and I will never be a young man. So there's some aspects of what it means to be a young man that you'll understand a whole lot better than I will. And by the same token, he's not ever been a young woman, so he's not going to understand the nuances of how his daughters are reacting to having their period or having pimples on their face or whatever it is. And that's why I think God has two parents, and it's not doesn't always stay that way. Sometimes there's death. Sometimes there's legitimate separation. But ideally, is having a father and a mother. Yeah, I can remember saying to my husband, I do not understand what our son is thinking. And he would say, I get everything he's doing. <laughs> right. Well, then you handle it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I had situations like that as well. And... As we're dealing with an older woman, and I had the benefit of having an older woman who was quite a bit older than I, and I would speak to her, and sometimes I would hope that I'd get some sympathy, but she wasn't that kind of person. She was very kind, but she wasn't going to offer sympathy, and if I was deluding myself into this Pollyanna fairy tale sort of thing, she would set me straight. and. Because I knew the depth of her understanding of scripture, I would take things from her that I would never take from anybody else. Yeah, I have a friend who is actually four years younger than me, but was born and raised in a Christian household, was raising children just ahead of mine and younger than mine. She had a big family and um, she would just speak truth into my life. They became friends, that couple became friends with us as a couple, and I can still hear her say, well, Beth, do you really think that you want them to do that way? So cool, calm, collected, not angry, not, you know, harsh with me, just, is that really what you want when the Bible says this? And she would always point me back to scripture. She brought me just leaps and bounds. In especially in parenting, because my children were 10 and 11 when I came to, to know the Lord. So I, I mean, I was way behind in what they needed to have had happen to them. They were not prepared at all. And she really helped me bring them along. Praise the Lord for her. And I think it's a great idea for there to be known relationships that the family knows that, okay, when there's some difficulty, I'm good with my wife going to talk to this person. We don't hide it. I right. never encourage a woman to hide from her husband that she's talking to me about something. Right. And there are some couples that I deal with, and he'll be the first to say, you're very valuable in our life because I know when we're hitting an impasse and she doesn't want to talk to me right now because she's angry. That I, I, I trust that if I know she's talking to you, that she's going to get sound advice. Right. That, and that's really wonderful to hear, isn't it? <laughs> it makes me just grateful that God put me where he did in that yeah. woman's life. That there's someone she'll listen to that's going to give her the scriptural viewpoint. And sometimes that's letting her cry and, and mm -hmm. talk. But one of the things we want to be careful as mentors is that we don't get into sanctioned gossip. 
because you know, and that's it's a tough one because there's the balance between somebody has to tell you what's going on but they don't have to tell you in the minutia and if they tell you the situation i usually say all right i think i know enough let me speak mm-hmm. this back to you you're struggling with xyz and if the person says yes i say okay fine i don't need to know any more because the more you talk the more possibility that you're going to sin mm-hmm. by saying too much but make sure i understand if if i can speak back to you what the issue is or that i think you think this is the issue but i think there's an underlying issue and i think i want to address that and you tell me does that resonate with you because this goes right. back and to I, this goes back to do are we looking for a solution or are we just looking for an exit right and i have had people talk to me about well i just need to vent and i did a massive search one time for the word vent in the bible and when people vent that it was not frowned upon it is they they are pouring their heart out to the lord they aren't going to somebody else and pouring every detail of everything that's happened and i think that's something we can teach them is you pour all those details out before the lord you put them out there and ask him to help you with them and then give me what you need <laughs> what mm-hmm. i absolutely have to have and we can talk about the principles that are involved all around this issue but the american idea that we should just call somebody up and vent is not a scriptural concept not even remotely if you think about right. what happens when you vent you're letting you know you're opening a window you're turning on something where everything goes mm-hmm. out well sometimes too much can go out and the the hard part about that is and I, this is where i find that people really have problems if they have vented as you say and spoken too much then when the situation is actually better between the wife and the husband there's not as much interest in then the couples having a friendship with each other because she's said things that he doesn't know she said right i agree and that has happened that it, even that they put out so much out there that then they're embarrassed by it exactly. and they really don't want to see you again right so you just don't want to get there exactly and sometimes and i've seen this happen with myself and i'm sure it's not a an unique experience to me you're telling somebody a story and you're really upset about something and they just don't seem to react like it's that big a deal so now you embellish it a little bit because <laughs> in order to be right you have to make sure that they react the same way and that's where right you react. run into problems because mm-hmm. it took him two he was 2 hours late turns into he was 4 hours late turns into he just never called me but you don't include that his cell phone died so he couldn't have <laughs> called you so we have this idea that it has to be big and awful and now I'm supposed to go oh that's terrible when you pour out your heart before the lord maybe the right thing to do right afterwards is based on your interaction with god to write down what you think the issue is yeah because narrow it down is it that you're really mad that he 
leaves his dirty underwear on the floor and he doesn't call you back when you call him at work? Or are you really upset because he forgot your birthday? Right. 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 And at the end, nobody really wants to admit, I got upset over he forgot my birthday. Well, first of all, you have to admit, that's what I'm upset about. Right. <laughs> whether or not it's a, it's the same thing to do or whether or not other people would say, oh, yeah, I'm all for you on that. You have to at least identify why you're angry or why you're upset or what you, what you think the problem is. Right. Agreed. And there are lots of problems out there that people blow out of proportion. Not just as a mentor, who will, people who want mentors, all of us, right? We, we see them way bigger than they are, and that's something that a mentor can bring back into focus. Okay. One thing we have to remember is when we look in a mirror, we are seeing ourselves backwards. And sometimes having somebody who's not seeing you backwards right. and noticing the things that you've chosen to overlook or the things that you think are so obviously bad and someone says, wow, I never even noticed. Really? I, I didn't know. Like, I, I laugh sometimes. I can get my glasses changed, and they're different. And I go see people go, hi. And they go, hi. And I go, notice anything different? They went, no. <laughs> I right. go, these, these are totally different glasses than I had before. Really? I didn't notice. Right. And people don't. <laughs> and they don't. They, they, they don't. Yeah. So in closing, because I think we've kind of covered the topic well, Two things. What would you say to somebody as a way in which to approach a person you've observed and say, I think that person could help me? Based on your experience on how people have approached you, what would you tell that person to say? I love the women who are very direct with me, who come in and sit down and say, I've been going through some stuff and I think it would really help me to have somebody I could talk to about it who will give me a scriptural view, and would you be willing to do that? That is a lot easier to me than the person who comes and they do kind of pour out their heart, but you don't really know that what they're looking for is someone to mentor them. They want you to offer, but you don't know that they want you to offer. That's a very awkward situation. And I think it's much better to just be direct. It's, it's a compliment. You're looking for someone who you believe will give you some wisdom and I've chosen you, will you do it for me? But it's much more simple. mutual at that way because, I mean, not that you say yes to every person who will come to you, but I don't think you probably initially say no either. I have a standard line that I use and that is, I will gladly sit down and talk with you about this and then truly sit down, relax, and say, what is it that, that you're thinking you want to get out of this? So that everybody goes in understanding and recognizing that it, if it is, you know, a young woman with four children under seven, I might have to drive to her house. Well, where does she live? What kind of time is she going to be able to set aside for this? Because the other thing is that Many women will do this in front of their children and pour out things that should not be said in front of children. And so I'm pretty clear, I want alone time in your kitchen. You know, mm -hmm. I don't want the children close by if you are going to tell me things 
that they should not hear. And so that first meeting, I try to do just one-on-one, sometimes right after church, sometimes we meet for coffee, whatever they can do. The other thing, because this is something else, is that the mentor has to be the flexible one. If you Mm -hmm. are dealing with a young woman with a family, you have to be the one willing to go late, go early, go over lunch, go when the kids are taking a nap. It, It can be demanding in a way because you have to fix things so you can do it. But I think it's worth it in the long run. And that's part of the availability thing that we talked about, that you really can volunteer your time because you are available. My husband's now used to when he'll say, what are you doing today? And I'll say, okay, I have a call at three, I have a call at five, and I'm going to teach a class at such and such. And he's often told me he's grateful to God that he can finance this unofficial ministry that I have with people, making it so that I am available. Because by God's grace, we've gotten to see some amazing results when you're willing to kind of get in the middle of people's chaos. And the the best scenarios are where people handle their issue. And then as you're interacting with them in the future, it's almost like they don't even remember there was a problem. So that doesn't stick in the way of the relationship that it's always, oh, yes, this is the, the, the counselor and I'm the counselee. And that's exactly right. And my husband has said that very similar things, that he's grateful I can do this and he's happy that I can do this. Every once in a while, I'll be like, shouldn't I be making some money? And he'll say, no. Mm-hmm. This is going too well. You just keep doing what you're doing. And I'm grateful for that. That is a true gift and and a one spirit on what I believe God has called me to do. And I can say that if anybody who's listening, Mm -hmm. man or women, or because men can mentor younger men and should be doing so, but and feels called, says like, I really think this is up my alley. And would like some encouragement, would like a reading list, would like a course of action that would help this prospective mentor feel more secure in really stepping out there and helping people. I know I'm available and I'm pretty sure you are as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So both of us, if I'm not mistaken, are available on Facebook. So that's always a way. That's where a lot of people contact me. As you pointed out, in the end, I feel I gain so much more than I give. Yes, absolutely. It, it is a gift. And to see marriages continue, that first one that came to me, they were really contemplating divorce. And not because of me, but because of the work that the Lord did in them. Her husband got baptized in that church maybe two years later and they've had another child. They had one boy and now they have a girl and those two children were raised to love the Lord. I'm not sure where they are. I haven't talked to her in a while, but I think that that is the exciting thing to me to see that a whole family comes together and another generation is influenced. It's an investment, but it's an investment in the kingdom of God. Amen. Yes, I agree. All right. Well, thank you, Beth. And I hope we've encouraged women to be mentors in training, to seek out mentors. That's the way we're going to help build kingdom-driven families. 
Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast. Holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.